This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 704. This week, we welcome Jennifer Sterling. We're going to talk about uh, restoration contractors, insurance, do's and don'ts. Uh, many of the lessons learned will be applicable to any type of contractor and even consultants. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget after the show to continue the discussion at afterthoughts.iaqradio.com, sponsored by First On Site. IAQ Radio Plus Marquee Sponsor is First On Site Property Restoration at firstonsite.com. IAQ Radio Association Sponsors are ACGIH, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org. AIHA, the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org. IICRC, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at IICRC.org. The Restoration Industry Association, RIA, at RestorationIndustry.org. The Environmental Information Association, EIA, at EIA-USA.org. IAQ Radio Industry Sponsors are Particles Plus at ParticlesPlus.com, TSI Inc. at TSI.com, Tramex Meters at TramexMeters.com, and Healthy Indoors Magazine at HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to John Lapotere, Florida IAQ Solutions in Winter Springs, Florida, who was first to identify the name of the Hollywood Walk of Fame plaque number 2563 as the cartoon character Snoopy. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, June 23, 2023, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Name the high-profile insurance claim in which the following occurred. A retroactive insurance policy was sold after the loss. 30 parties paid $5,000 each into a special fund to build a courtroom large enough to hold the trial. Champagne, rock music, and laughter filled the courtroom when the judge adjourned the proceedings after having just received a T-shirt inscribed with the Latin phrase, which means... You can never have too much insurance. Back to you, Joe. (laughs) All right, Cliff. Jennifer Sterling is an environmental insurance broker serving all lines of insurance needs. She knows the insurance risks and exposures in this ever-changing industry, specific to scope of operations that include but are not limited to fire, water, mold remediation, smoke, dryouts, contents cleanup, hazardous transport, crime scene cleanup, and consulting. Um, she's uh, com- coming in from, I believe it's California, right, Jennifer? Welcome to IQ Radio. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Great to have you. Where, where are you located? Where's your company? Um, we're actually located in California, but I am a licensed national broker in all 50 states. So I, I'm able to see my clients uh, throughout the country because I attend several of the industry trade shows all year long. I'm probably seven a year, um, anywhere from the RIA to the IICRC to the IAQA to the to the Crawford Connections, to the experience, to the restoration rubble. So I kind of have my little foot in all the different little jars. Okay. Well, do, do all companies that specialize in water restoration, fire damage restoration, do full service, including construction, emergency repairs, deodorizing demolition, uh, or don't do construction, do they all need the same insurance coverage? Well, no, they don't. You know, I, I really don't like to spend people's money. I think there's a lot of people that hate insurance. I, our, I know in our industry, it's a love-hate relationship. You know, we, we really do appreciate when they are going to pay on the claim. And we do really like it when our restoration asbestos mold guys are actually getting jobs from the insurance company. Um, do they all need the same thing? No. If they actually have an exposure let's put it this way. In 1986, back in the day, um, there was quite a few homeowners that decided that there was the acoustic ceilings with asbestos in it. And this became the opportunity to take the world by storm and get new clothes and new couches and new carpet. (laughs) And after those insurance companies paid out all those millions of dollars, they quickly decided that they were going to make it so that their policy would not have to trigger to pay out. So what they did was they added what they call a contractor's pollution liability exclusion. And see, for that, it just means anything to do with a liquid, solid, or gas would not be covered on your normal general liability policy. So if you had a normal general liability policy and you were a contractor or a specialty contractor, every single policy out there, basically, if you were a pizza parlor, you really didn't care if you had a pollution exclusion. But if you're a contractor that's specializing in, you know, asbestos or mold or lead, or you could have an opportunity where you could actually discharge um, or disperse seepage or release or escape with a pollutant, you definitely had no insurance except for this general liability that would typically only pay for slipping, falling, break a face, scratch a wood floor, all the stuff our guys would be like okay lady i'll fix your stuff be quiet you don't even want to put in a claim and use your insurance so what happened was these guys were having to buy that separate piece that wasn't included in their liability more and that policy is called a contractor's pollution liability policy jennifer the people that we see that really need it are the fire water guys the mold guys the lead guys and quite honestly, if you're subcontracting out plumbers, they definitely should have the pollutant. Um, because as you know, they're either getting a mess with hot water, cold water, or, you know, dirty water. So, How did you uh, get involved in this area? This It's kind of a specialized area. How did you get involved in that? I don't know if you guys remember this old guy named Bill Lowman. He owned Legends Environmental for yeah. about 50 years. Uh, that's where I know you from. All right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Bill took me under his wing about 20 years ago and said, 
listen, kid, you're, you know a lot about insurance, but you need to know about pollution and you need to know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> so wow. he, he was my legend. He actually walked me through this, uh, this path. And, uh, I think it's really great for the owners of the companies or any of them or techs that are listening is that is the great gift that you can give your people is to keep them educated and learning because in this industry, it's very ever-changing. As you know, we're waiting for new 520s to come out. And, you know, some people think that it doesn't matter, but it does. Interesting. Uh, What is inland marine coverage? Cliff wrote this. I don't know. He knows, but I don't. So inland marine coverage is something that gets mistaken often by local agents that are not aware that contractors like ours don't have a shop set up in the back like a wood shop where they're using all their tools all day in the back of the warehouse. Our guys are out there taking this equipment and leaving a $3,000, you know, dehumidifier or, you know, their air movers and they're leaving them on the job site. When it leaves the actual building of the premises of the business, that is called inland marine coverage. It's back from the olden days when you would, you know, if it wasn't on a ship, it was ocean marine. And if it never got in the waterways, it was called inland marine. So it's a very old terminology, but it basically means contractor's equipment. And I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Years ago, I had a guy who was real proud. He had his business loan through Wells Fargo and and, uh, he had all of his insurance with them. And he was working that New Orleans flood and he took a whole 18 wheeler full of inland marine equipment. And then for months he stayed there and then he started coming home and the equipment started coming back in. And one day he went back out to the 18 wheeler and all of his equipment was gone. So he called his local agent and the lady said, well, I didn't know you guys um, were moving. How did they get in the building? Did the alarm go off? Did the police? He's like, no, my equipment was in New Orleans. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know your equipment moved around. I wrote it up as business personal property. I thought it stayed in your warehouse all the time. And I'm sorry, you have no coverage. Wow. Oh, so, that's going to hurt. Marine, I see mostly claims. I like to tell you all the scary stories. The most of the time I see an Inland Marine claim is because your guys are putting the equipment fully loaded in the trucks. Um, they're not maintaining the trucks locked into the buildings and the trucks are getting stolen. And that equipment is not covered on your auto policy. It's only covered under an Inland Marine policy. Very interesting. Now, Cliff sent another question, and I thought it was a typo, but I was wrong. All right. What is Bailey coverage? So Bailey's in the last 10 years has become very popular, and that's another type of property. And that is covered for um, the care, custody, and control of other people's property. And so we see a tremendous amount of movement with people wanting to do these fire, flood, water, asbestos jobs and get the extra work, packing all this stuff up, inventorying it, taking pictures of it, putting it in bubble wrap, separating that the stuff that has nothing wrong with it will be in the way of the construction, put in a pod in the driveway, and then the rest of it be taken back. The minute you take care, custody and control, of this other people's property, that is Bailey's, and that is what 
that coverage is. Um, a tip I would like to give you guys out there, if you're on a job and you see the stuff that's wet and you're going to take that back to the warehouse, you know, don't try to be a storage unit. It's just a lot of liability. These are people's personal items. Go ahead. If you're going to get your 10 and 10 off the pod, have it delivered in the driveway, put all the good stuff in there, have a brand new lock and let the homeowners see that they're the only ones that have the keys. Fill up that pod with everything that's nothing wrong with it and then let them lock it. I've seen situations where the technicians have the kid in the middle of the afternoon, the techs are running in and out and he wants to find his Xbox. And somehow the pod gets left open all night and there you go, there's a big claim because now all of a sudden all the TVs and everything's missing and, you know, so avoid the liability. Also, I see on uh, admitted carrier paper, people that don't have restoration packages like the ones that I work with, where they'll call it uh, property of others. If you look at that form, they call it ISO form, uh, it doesn't allow you to actually do work on that Bailey's, that stuff. So it's important that you have a policy for Bailey's that's intentionally met for you to not only take care of custody and control, but also do any cleaning or fixing or gluing or whatever it is that you need to do. Very interesting. Cliff, let me turn it, it over to you. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, you've already mentioned one situation where there was a problem where the broker didn't realize what the contractor's business was. How would you suggest that a, a restoration company shopping insurance confirms that the broker or agent that he's considering using really does understand his business? Well, you know, we're super blessed with some really great brokers that really support the industry that attend a lot of these trade shows beside myself. And I think that it's really important that they seek a broker that really has an understanding of this business because there's so many little nuances for it. And oftentimes they're working with a local agent thinking like, oh, this guy's great. If he can write my homeowners, he can write my pack my policy, they sometimes they're just trying to shove you into a program that they have an appointment with. And so it's not a good fit. Like, you know, you're not letting them know, yeah, maybe you're getting a great deal. Maybe it's making your local agent happy and he's trying to package it all together. But maybe, you know, he didn't disclose, he wrote janitorial and he didn't say, oh yeah, they do mold abatement also. So in that climate situation, you really want a broker that knows when you start changing your operation and all of a sudden you're doing crime scene cleanup or you're doing biohazard or, you know, how much of it are you subbing out versus doing it, you know, self-performing? How much of it are you, um, you know, are you doing the build back? Are you not? How, what's the percentage of your gross revenue that is actually environmental? So you really, I think it's important that you have a broker that really knows this niche. I was curious, though, you, you mentioned, and in your, your uh, bio, we talk about water, mold remediation, smoke, dry eyes, et cetera. Is each of those a separate, like, addition to the policy? That's a really good question. Um, with an underwriter, okay, first off, let me just tell you, these are specific packages that are made. There's 2,500 insurance companies in the country. Out of those 2,500, 
there's four, maybe five, that actually will write a package that has an appetite and is focused on a person that's doing anything based on these environmental exposures. So um, to answer your question, if you're in this wheelhouse where you're doing mold or lead, these package policies, what you can get is a general liability policy. I explained to you that all the others have a pollution exclusion. It also comes with the pollution liability that picks everything back up, which is, you know, category three, water, mold, asbestos, lead, and then also professional liability. So if you're up they're giving your opinion, whether it be good advice or bad advice, or you read the scope wrong, or, you know, God forbid you, you told someone that he's great and he's not great. This package policy encompasses every kind of claim scenario we see based on these kind of work operations that they're doing. So it would include even like asbestos. I know back in the day, I did a lot of work in the asbestos world and insurance was very uh, costly for, for doing asbestos. So if I've got a typical policy with you that covers my water damage, my restaurant, and I decide to go into asbestos, do I call you and let you know, or can I just go ahead and jump in there? That's a great question, Joe. And absolutely, you would endorse that type of new operation on your policy. We're seeing these policy, these applications are nine or 10 pages they don't let you auto renew because they want to check up what you're doing every year. That's why I always encourage people not to just leave it up to like, oh, just leave it like last year or let, you know, Brittany, Kaylee, Haley fill out the renewal application because they that application becomes part of the policy. And it's so important if you've changed your operations, it's like, hey, we've taken on asbestos. Yes, they're going to add that on. Are they going to figure out how they're going to rate it a little differently? Absolutely. But it's also based on whether or not you have the accreditations or the licensing to do that work. And if you are, then it's very easy to add those coverages onto the policy. Okay. And the other thing that a lot of people get confused on is um, doing consulting type work. So you go in and you're a water damage contractor, let's say, and you, and you, you go in and you make some recommendations for how to do this particular project, and there is no third party on the project. Am I now doing consulting where I need that type of insurance as well as my other insurance? Yes. And again, that will be the third component of the biggest part of the policy is, again, the general liability, the pollution liability, and the professional liability. So that allows you to have coverage for, you know, your moisture readings or any type of consulting that you're doing that would also be included in the package policy. And I'm assuming you can just get the, the professional liability too if you all you do is consulting. Yes, you can. It's very minimum. However, they like to include the general liability on that. So if you do have a liability, which is the slipping, you know, slipping, breaking or something like that under GL, if you were to do a sample and you drilled into the wall for the sample and you, you know, took out the electricity, you know, you'd want that liability to be packaged on there too. One of the reasons why they started packaging the policies is because Let's say you only have general liability and you have a total pollution exclusion on your policy. So you go to the job site and you're just sucked 
sucking up the water. And then all of a sudden you don't suck up all the water. You leave, you know, a little bit of water. And if there's one mold spore, that is a total pollution exclusion. It would not cover on that general liability policy. So let's say the guy has a separate policy for his pollution. And now he's like, oh gosh, now they said they saw mold. Now we cause the pollution carrier for his separate pollution policy. Now he has two separate deductibles, two separate claims, two different underwriters, and they're both fighting. They're both supposed to be defending you. And now they're fighting over who is going to pay what. Same with adding that third component of the professional. It's better just to have it all as one, one deductible. It triggers to pay the claim. It's going to pay for the, you know, the fixing, the build back, the testing, the abatement, whatever we have to do now. It's all going to be covered under that one policy. Gotcha. Now, what are some of the exclusions that might be excluded from? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. (laughs) I'm going to segue with that with another question that you might be asking me about um, where we see the biggest claims lately. And this is just regarding the liability. The carriers are losing their minds. And one of the reasons why they're losing it is because of the guys that are going out there and saying that they are going to tarp or cover or stop any more soy source of the moisture. And so all of the carriers in the last four years, and boy, I've been fighting to make them not put on there, but they're still doing it, is what they call it, oh, um, a water intrusion exclusion. And after speaking with an attorney yesterday that actually specializes um, in um, law for these scenarios, is really telling me that this is where we're seeing the biggest claims. So they're they're going ahead and they're putting a water intrusion exclusion on there. And they're basically saying like, look, you're the professional. You went out there in the middle of the night. You said you were going to stop further damage. And guess what? The tarp blew up in the middle of the night and it caused more damage. Guess what? You just let them get right into your wallet and trigger a claim against that poor contractor's policy. So these policies are all being written with a water intrusion exclusion because, you know, like we were talking about the construction defect, you know, that's where they're seeing the claims. And if you're in there trying to do your due diligence with standard of care, but you make it worse, it's your liability. Okay, couple questions. Water intrusion exclusion uh, is the biggest scenario. Okay, a couple of a couple of, of questions related to that. So we we tarp the roof and we tarp it well, but there just happens to be bad wind or you know high wind or whatever that blows I it know. off. It's something that's unusual. Uh, if if that, I mean, that can happen. And what else would other than tarping roofs? What other claims have you seen? related to this that well i think you guys are all seeing that we're having a huge increase in auto claims you're seeing all the carriers are pulling out of you know several of the bigger states um these vehicles are no longer easy to repair and you're pulling off the whole bumper or the whole side of the car um so the repairs on vehicles are much more expensive we're seeing vehicles we could say like a box truck a Ram box truck or a pro Ram or whatever y'all call them. Um, we're seeing this go from maybe 15 to 1700 a unit up to almost 4,000 a unit per million dollars. 
Um, we're just seeing so many people out there on the roads, younger drivers. The guys are not, you contractors, they're not doing a good enough job really holding their driver's hands and saying, look, like we talk to our kids every morning, like, hey, it's getting wet out there. We have a rainy day. Keep two free car lengths. Um, you know, they're not checking the motor vehicle reports and making sure to see if you pull a motor vehicle report on your employee, you can glean a lot from that guy. If he's got fire to appears and tickets and speeding or, you know, he's not a good guy. Don't let him drive your 18,000 gross vehicle weight truck that you just put a $5,000 wrap on. It's a $75,000 truck and the kid just got to have a Honda Accord. Like we need to take some responsibility for that. So we're seeing a big increase in auto claims with the texting and the talking and the driving and trying to read the Google map. And I say, nip it in the butt from the beginning, babysit these guys, make it fun, do the Marsha Brady Greg truck contest, you know, put the little cone with the egg on there. Let's make it fun. Get your techs savvy with their parking and driving. Don't let the person in the truck that's sleeping play on Facebook that's the passenger. Make him get out of the truck, help him back it in, help him parallel park, help him find the address. These claims are exacerbating the auto industry and we're losing carriers like crazy. And if they're doing a asbestos abatement and they need their DOTs, then for their filings, then we're really talking about big premium on these trucks. So let's nip this in the bud with who we're letting get in those trucks to drive and stop those auto claims. Really, really, really good point. What about workman's compensation? Um, is it important to classify the different, you know, classify your workforce, you know, how many salesmen and how many people might be going up on a roof to target? Yes, I say use the cheapest class goods you can get. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know you guys all think that until the guy actually gets injured and he can sue you. So, um, Workers' comp is a broken system, unfortunately. I think workers' comp started, you know, decades ago to help the guy who really just kept on working because he couldn't afford to take a day off and he would just work sick and hurt. Um, and so they created an opportunity for the guy to get two-thirds of his loss of income and all of his medical bills taken care of, and then he'd get his butt back to work, right? Um what we're finding is a lot of people are taking advantage of that and they're staying on the system for a long, long time. And it's really hurting the contractor. When you write workers' comp, every single job in the world has a class code with what they call a phraseology. If you're not sure where to put your employees, there's two resources you can do. In California, it's the WCIRB, which is called the Workers' Comp Information Rating Bureau. And if you're in 32 of the other states, you can look to the NCCI. And that is where you can put in the description of what your guy's doing. They call it phraseology, fancy word for what number we're going to attach to that. Once it's assigned to a number, what we call a class code, every carrier has an appetite for certain class codes. Guess what? Nobody likes class code 5473 asbestos. And guess what else? Nobody else likes the class code 9014 janitorial when you're doing mold remediation. Um, again, we only have two insurance companies in the country that will write the workers' comp for those class codes. Otherwise, you end up going into like a state pool or something like that. 
Very Years ago, they would say, oh, you've got one technician. He's doing a little bit of painting. He's doing a little bit of drywall. He's setting up DHU. He's building a containment. And they'd be like, well, bummer. What's the most expensive class code of the work he's doing? All 40 hours goes in that more expensive class code. They found out that that was kind of really screwing the little contractor guy. And they fought and they said, okay, we're going to allow you to do what they call division of payroll. But in order to do that, you have to put Joey, 9 to 11, painting, class code 5446, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. So that at the end of the year, when they come to do the audit and they said, okay, you know, this is what you reported all year long. Now let's dig through all your books and see how much more money we can get out of you uh, on your workers' comp audit. They tend to try to put that payroll wherever they want. And so you have to be diligent to just keep regurgitating that same language. Like, well, what did Joey do? And you're going to say, the phraseology is. <laughs> so um, that's, you know, it, that's the biggest challenge. In, you know, in regards to that, there are certain businesses that operate as a handyman service. You know, so they have someone... You know, these guys are, you know, jacks of all trades. So how would you classify a handyman service that came to you? That's a really good question. Um, you know, the only people that can make the class code stick, that can decide what is the correct class code, is the WCR, uh, WCIRB. I've seen so many guys get so mad at the end of the year. The auditor shows up. He takes all of the payroll out of this class code and shoves it in there. Look, the broker has no say what class codes to use. The insurance carrier has no what say to use. The customer has no say. If it gets down to it, the only person that has the ultimate say is the Workers' Comp Information Rating Bureau. Think how important Workers' Comp is when the price you're paying for 2024 for your Workers' Comp payroll is based on not just 2024, but everything back to 2018. So the Workers' Comp Information Rating Bureau is required to receive a little summary from every single policy of every single person in that state. And on that report, we call it a loss run, L-O-S-S-R-U-N. I call it a report card. They have to send that report card and it says, hey, ABC Construction had a policy. It went from 6-1 to 6-1. And he used these five class codes and he used this much payroll and he paid this much premium. Oh, and by the way, he had a claim for $30,000 for the employee using class code 9014. And they give that to the WCRB and they get the other three years from the other carriers you might have been with or if you were with the same carrier and they blend it up in a mixer and out pops your x mod you've heard the term experience rating modification i call it a gpa because it's the same thing it's four years and they mush it all together that experience rating guide determines the additional premium the carrier is allowed to charge you or give you a credit and it's, it can be very significant. I've seen guys from a mod that's less than one go all the way up to, you know, 2.15. He, he's paying, you know, way more well, than he needs to be. And it's because you're being priced based on everything you did for four years. So when I have a little tiff with some of my insurance and I'll say like, you know, 
you're really pissed off today because your quote is more than last year. But, you know, you have that claim with the guy had the stuff in his eye and he's like, he was faking and he, he could have rinsed it out and he made that claim go longer. And I say, you know, what? we wouldn't even be having this conversation, but if you would have made sure he was wearing his proper protective eyewear. So, you know, we can avoid these claims. You can avoid paying these bigger rates. If you really have an understanding that what we're talking about in 2023, what you do how you class code it, a claims that you allow to happen based on not getting on your text, we're going to talk about in 2027 and 2028. So, All right, we've got to go to our halftime and thank our sponsors. We'll be back for the second half of our interview with Jennifer Sterling. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site, your trusted, full-service disaster recovery and property restoration company at firstonsite.com. Association sponsors are ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, The Environmental Information Association, EIA's Multidisciplinary Membership, collects, generates, and disseminates information concerning environmental and occupational health hazards in the built environment at eia-usa.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry, iicrc.org. The Restoration Industry Association the oldest and largest nonprofit professional trade association dedicated to providing leadership and promoting best practices through advocacy, standards, and professional qualifications for the restoration industry at restorationindustry.org. Industry sponsors are Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us, particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations, TSI.com. Tramex Meters, developing modern dynamic moisture meters and humidity monitoring systems since 1974. TramexMeters.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, HealthyIndoors.com. All right, we're back with Jennifer Starling. Jennifer, I'd, I'd like to start the second half talking about a – this has been around for a long time, but it's seeing a lot of emphasis now, and that is restoration of uh, wildfire smoke. And, you know, people are going out and they're getting called in, and, and I just read somewhere, you're out in California, I think there's a couple insurance companies now that aren't even writing homeowners in California anymore because of this issue. What do people who respond to calls, you know, restoration contractors, they're dealing with uh, wildfire smoke, are they covered for that from the work they do with respect to fires in a home? Or is that something separate that they need to make sure they're covered properly for? So the beautiful thing, you know, like I said, every policy is different about policy form and what's covered and what's not. The most important thing I can reiterate is that you make sure you realize that those 
applications are part of the policy. So if you're not disclosing in every little category, like before we used to be like, yeah, I'm gonna do $1 million in fire water restoration. And we just filled in the one category and then we put five grand in consulting. Uh, that is not a thing anymore. If you want to have the broadest coverage possible, you need to make sure that the carrier knows exactly what you say you're doing, whether or not you're self-performing it or whether or not you're subcontracting it out. And if you are subcontracting it out, remember, if you're bored and you're not knowing what your policy is going to cover, just remember one thing, everything has to be by written contract. So if that means you have a written customer authorization agreement, or you, know, you have a subcontractor agreement, um, you wanna make sure that that carrier knows what portion, portion of the policy you're subbing out and what you're actually doing and what you're performing. Don't get a wild hair to go say, oh, there's fires, I'm a fire water guy. You know, if you're doing something different than what you did when you wrote the policy, that's why I say like, have your hands in that cookie jar. Don't just auto renew that policy. Our operations are changing all the time. This is a very trendy industry. Sometimes hoarding is popular. Sometimes crime scenes really popular. Then they're like, oh, everybody wants to do, you know, COVID cleanup. You know, oh, lucky you, you got to pay extra that year because you wanted to go be the first one to say you wanted to be a COVID cleanup guy. Um, and now it's the next year. You know, just make sure if you're doing these operations, it's included and the underwriter or your broker is aware of it and it's disclosed. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Thanks, Joe. Um, Jennifer, um, let's talk maybe about new insurance products. You know, you were talking about this situation in California, I guess, et cetera, where water intrusion is an issue and insurance companies are afraid of it. All these different things that we've talked about, you know, pollution liability, asbestos, mold, pesticides, antimicrobial, so on and so forth. All of those things were a problem. And then I guess one insurance company got brave and was willing to write it. If if I if I wanted to purchase, if I was a restoration contractor and I wanted to purchase uh, water intrusion insurance, could I get it? I suppose you'd have a very difficult time this year in moving forward to get the water intrusion exclusion removed. I've tried very hard. I think you'd be hard pressed to find any carrier that's gonna get on board with that. I think it would take you out of the fire water restoration uh, program, which allows you to do patchwork in the event of a fire. If you're, you're up there and you're doing the patchwork, uh, they're allowing that. But they, they, this program is not meant for you to be doing brand new tear-offs for rough. I imagine if you were gonna be in, really want that, that exclusion taken off, it would push you right into a roughers policy, which probably starts at 75,000 a year. Hmm. So maybe they should be using a roofer to do this. For I would definitely recommend that you just give that to a roofer and sub that out and take your 10 and 10 or however you're going to work it. Keep in mind this, you know, sometimes it's not in your best interest to try to make your 10 and 10. These guys are all like, oh, I'll use a sub. In California, I got a lot of people across the country even that still try to tell me, I'll say, so you're going to self-perform all this work. And they're like, well, yeah, but I'm going to use a sub. And I'll say, oh, what's a sub? Because 
they think a sub is someone that they're going to 1099 and they're going to just not pay taxes. That That's tax world. That's not insurance world. If you're going to be using a sub, that means that subcontractor is going to say, hey, guess what? If I have anything to do with this job going nilly willy, I have my own general liability that will pay for the claim. And by the way, go ahead. Here's a certificate of insurance so you can call them without even telling me you're going to put a claim in against my work. You also want to make sure that they um, sign a, give you a certificate of insurance that indemnifies you because you're letting this guy on your job site. So you want a piece of paper, a certificate of insurance that says, oh, look, he has his own liability. He has his own workers comp. We have a lot of um, inexperienced workers that are going to be around in the next couple of years. And uh, we need to make sure this summer when you accept a certificate of insurance showing liability only. And he goes, oh, well, I'm an owner's only. I don't have workers comp. I'm exempt, la da da. And then he shows up in the work truck with three guys in the backseat. You can't play stupid. You can't just feel like, oh, well, I didn't know we didn't have workers comp. It's your job site. You just let him come on the job with three employees saying he had no payroll. So guess who's going to pay the workers comp claim if he didn't give you a certificate of insurance showing he has workers comp. Those worker comp claims are going to be on the three guys in the back seat that he just picked up at Home Depot. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what I would recommend in that situation is just really make sure everything is by written contract. And when you say subcontractor, you're not talking about tax world. You're talking about a guy who's going to be on the job that you're going to pay, who's self-performing, who's performing on your behalf, and you've done your due diligence and you've indemnified yourself by saying, hey, if you screw up, it's your million dollars. If any of your employees get hurt, it's your workers' comp claim. So always have everything by written contract and always get a COI. I tell this story all the time about the guy who showed up, called me in his truck, and he said, oh, I'm in Cota de Casa, and I'm working on this big fire job. And I was like, good for you. He's like, no, not good for me. We caught the house on fire. Ooh. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we got on the job, and there was a little six-foot pony wall, and the lady said, demo in any way. I want a grand room. But there was a little gas line in there from an old two-way barbecue and, or pit. And uh, so they called the plumber real quick and said, hey, can you get out here and take out this gas line? I'll send the guys to lunch while you do it. And the guy, and I said, so um, he, he said, yeah, we burned the house up. And I said, oh, man, tell me what happened. And he said, well, you know, we uh, went to cut out the wall and it torched and caught on fire. And I said, well, didn't you know there was a gas line in there? And he said, yeah, we hired the plumber. And I said, well, did you get something by written contract? And I hear him like trying to untangle a piece of paper. And I said, oh, my Lord, tell me what it says. And it said, um, remove six foot gas line and pressure test and remove and haul away, you know, demo. And uh, I go, well, we got him. We got him. We didn't even talk. You could just call his insurance. You got the COI, right? Well, they were in a big old hurry and they forgot to get that darn COI. But you know what saved this guy's butt? That he had a subcontractor agreement and in the subcontractor agreement it said no matter what happens you will always carry a million dollars 
You will always make me named as an additional insured. You promise to make me primary non-contributory. You waive your right to segregate. And thank goodness, all that wording, even though he didn't have the cert, he still had the signed sub-agreement from you know a few years back. And that was his saving grace. So wow. do your due diligence. If you're going to be using guys to work for you, make sure they have the right insurance. And be smart about it. If you want to get up there and get your 10 and 10 to do patchwork and you have a water intrusion exclusion, don't be stupid, stupid. Just call the sub, use the rougher. Make sure you get a COI, have a customer agreement. Good advice. It really is. Um, what in the construction world, you know, I've got a little construction company and we just we just decided not to use any subs because it's just a it was such a pain to try and verify their insurance and get the contracts and, and so on and so forth. Do you think that's, do you see that often that people just try to avoid subs altogether because of the headache? I think subs is a trending thing. I think in 2005, everybody had really strong staff on their team. I think when the market started to go down in 2007, or whatever, I think we a lot of people like they couldn't hold on to these skilled workers with the salaries. And then I think a lot of guys went out there and started doing their own thing. I think that we see it both ways. They lose their employees after the COVID thing. And then all of a sudden they were just like trying to do everything themselves. I, I see it both. It's it's cyclical. It just continues to change all the time. Sometimes everyone's doing their self-performing everything, and other times. You know, don't be a paper contractor because you're not controlling the movement of any of your people. You're making the carrier not want you because they don't think you have any control of the job site, that you're not controlling the movement, that you're not using skilled workers, you're not investing in your employees, that they're not following great safety standards, that you don't have a standard operating procedure because you've got guys from all over the place. So, you know, if you're going to have a plan, stick with the plan and, you know, just focus on indemnifying yourself. So don't be a paper contractor. That's interesting. I've never heard that. So that means that basically I sub everything out. Is that right? Correct. And you're okay. finding that carriers just don't want anything to do with that, especially for these package policies. They they just don't want it. What other trends are you seeing now that, that we haven't seen, you know, until recently with respect to coverage and and you know, uh, just different trends that maybe you see that maybe you cyber can let liability, people. as you know, you know, uh, we're seeing a lot of cyber exposure. Um, the carriers, these package policies are like they keep adding more and more coverages to them because what happens a lot of times is, you know, the guy will be going to a local agent in the middle of Timbuktu and they'll just put him in like an a, just a regular old admitted policy, like a nationwide policy. It has a pollution exclusion. Um, they can't really build on it. You, I've told you all the reasons why, but these package policies that are including the general liability, the pollution liability, the professional liability, they're adding the Bailey's coverage in there. They're adding the Inland Marine coverage in there. They're allowing you to add the rental. If you're like going to Sunbelt and you're renting your equipment, they charge, charge you $12 a day you know, for their insurance. You can add the rental equipment coverage, um, non-owned disposal site coverage they've added on now. So if you go and you drop something off and you get named at the ledger and they saw something that, you know, you get named in that, you have, they have a duty to defend you. Um, but we're, they are also 
So adding on the cyber liability, please be diligent with these. If you're taking credit cards, you have a responsibility to protect those credit cards. And even a zip code can be considered personal protective information. So you do have a fiduciary responsibility when you're taking these credit cards and these files and all this pertinent information. So cyber hacking, you know, make sure you're using, you know, two forms of authentication. Um, everything that you can do, make sure that you're limiting, you know, who's allowed to take laptops home and whether or not they're allowed to have it on their phone. Again, not just click the button and there's the outlook with everybody's, you know, info. So we're seeing a lot of cyber liability. Um, we're also seeing a lot of crime. I know you mentioned to me about crime. Uh, if one of your employees is accused of stealing from you, that's called first party employee dishonesty, right? And a lot of these policies require you to actually file a police report and get a conviction before your policy even triggers to pay. So they offer you this coverage, but there's all these little hoops you've got to jump through. Um, and we don't really see, well, we do see employees stealing form from these contractors. Um, you know, I always recommend that you have cameras in your warehouses, you limit who's allowed to go in and out of the shop after hours. You know, uh, these days, uh, supplies are very expensive. We're seeing, you know, three ply rolls of plastic are almost a hundred bucks. And uh, we see guys going into Home Depot with the, the owner's credit card and he's buying five rolls. And then later that night, he's going back and returning it for the hundred bucks. So, uh, Crime is a problem. That is called first party crime. Um, you could buy a crime policy, but in our industry, we also see what we call third party crime. And that is where the employee is accused of stealing from our customers, um, your customer, the contractor. So, um, I, you know, I can't recommend enough how much you can claim from filling out an application. We are not so cool that you get a job just because you're Billy's friend's cousin, you know, that employee application actually has some indemnification at the bottom of that, you know, call, check their references. You know, I had someone that we found out was a total scammer and I Googled the home address and it was the middle of a field. And I was like, where did you get this guy? Uh, so, you know, do background checks. I know a lot of the third party administrators require you guys to be doing background checks. I think it's 70 bucks or 50 bucks to check the guy out. You'll find out his driving record, if he's a sex offender, if he's got criminal allegations against them. So, but yeah, if you're interested in worrying about your employees stealing from your customers, you can buy a crime policy or a crime bond. And that's called third party. And if you don't have that and they steal something, it's on you. You're going to write a check. Yeah, you're going to write a check. Hey, okay. Joe, if, if I might add on, you know, our company had issues with it. I think, I think every restoration company uh, eventually is going to have an issue, whether the issue is legitimate or isn't legitimate, uh, is an entirely different story. Sure. And we were able to put an end to it. And the way we put an end to it was we had on our employment application uh, a clause that said, that the employee would be willing to take a lie detector test uh, on demand. Hmm. And this came in this, and it's very important that you have it on there. And I'll explain why. 
when we had uh, issues after that, we would, you know, someone, uh, an executive from the company would go out, meet with the client, say, I'm very, very sorry that this occurred. And by the way, these are the uh, employment applications for the uh, employees who were on your particular project. And we'd have on the bottom that it would say that these employees uh, are, are willing to take a polygraph upon demand. And we're saying we're willing to go to the expense of having these people polygraphed at our expense on one condition. Okay, that condition is that you and the other people in your family or your other workers also take the polygraph at our expense. Wow. And it's amazing how powerful that was. I'll bet. You know, the <laughs> next morning, oh, we found that it was under the <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it was under you the know, bed or or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, hey, it's kind of like with your kids, you hate to make an idle threat that you can't really fall through with yep. because I don't know if polygraphs are submissible in court. Right, been, right. On the you know the municipality, um, but um, I think there's a lot to be said about putting it out there. You know, I I tell people if they've got an employee that is claiming that they're hurt and nobody saw it and they're limping around, you know, like be like, oh, you poor little thing, I'm going to go with you to the doctors and I'm gonna I'm going to go with you and show me what's hurt and they'll like move their finger like this and then you know. When you don't go with them, they're at the doctor and like, I can't move my whole arm. You know, you know, don't take, don't just give them the workers comp policy number to go take themselves, get in that car. And on the way there, be like, you know, they're probably going to drug test you when we get there. <laughs> you know, they're going to be ready to go better, to get out of bed. Right, right, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hey, we got to go to a roundup. We'll be right back with Jennifer Starling. The Roundup, sponsored by Tramex this week. Tramex Moisture Meters. Check them out at TramexMeters.com. All right, Jennifer Sterling, before we go, we always like to, you know, round up with a couple quick questions. I've got one for you that, based on my own little company here, but um, can you give us any tips? Uh, that When that audit paperwork comes in at the end of the year, I just want to I don't know. I want to throw up. I just don't want to deal with it. You know what I mean? But I know I, I, I should do it and do it, be a little more uh, conscientious about it. What kind of tips can you give us for that audit work? Well, first, remember that the auditor is not your friend. <laughs> okay. A lot of people tend to think like, oh, I'm going to be super nice to the auditor and he's going to let me get away with everything. And that's not really the case. They're just going to let you keep talking. Um, I also recommend that the owner not actually be at the audit because if we ever want to dispute an audit, it's hard to be like, well, I'm the owner and I didn't know what they said. Uh, you are they. Um, so it's easier to dispute an audit if it's not yourself. And again, the auditor doesn't have any as much say as they allude that they do. Anytime you don't like where they've decided to put the payroll or you think that you know, you don't like the audit, you're allowed to dispute the audit. I think it's important since we only have two or three carriers to play with that you try to get along with them. But more than likely, what I find is guys just lowball the payroll at the beginning of the policy period. And they don't, you know, they, they don't want to lose all their money. And then they get a bunch of big jobs and they get a lot of labor going. And it's the end of the year, not so much about it not being the right class codes, but that you just didn't 
keep up or call the broker and be like, wow, third quarter was awesome. Like we, uh, we need to call them and change our payment plan because we're going to get screwed. We only reported 50,000 for this class code. And now we've already done, you know, 180,000 and we're only in the fourth month. Like that's how you cannot have the sticker shock on the workers' comp audits. You know? Okay. Great point. Cliff. Uh, I just had, uh, I guess, a couple of things. I think one is a suggestion uh, that, you know, contractors may or may not be aware that in, in many situations, you may be able to get policy financing for your policy. So you don't have to write one big check uh, all at once. You can you know, have a down payment and so on and so forth. Uh, is that available in California as well? It's available in all 50 states, all the finance companies that allow financing with these policies because they're surplus lines carriers. So they're not like your typical progressive where you can pay as you go, like monthly payment. Um, these are called surplus, those are called admitted carriers. Yeah. These carriers are typically called surplus lines. They don't want to play. So there's finance companies that are available throughout the country. They typically require a minimum earned premium of 25% down, sometimes yeah. 10. Right. Um, that pretty much sucks up the first three months of the premium because they work really hard to get everything in place and they don't right, like right. to cancel after you get your cert. Right, right. Who, who would do that? Right. Um, <laughs> so they do allow you to have financing and make monthly payments. Okay. Um, as an insurance broker and an agent, uh, I suspect that you have contractors calling upon you and trying to get you to refer them on restoration claims. Uh, what are some of the things that get your attention that a contractor will, you know, will tell you? And what are some of the things that just turn you off that a contractor will tell you? Well, in my experience, I'm in all 50 states. So I probably I'm not the best broker to be able to say like, oh, yes, let me write your $5,000 general liability policy and I'm going to give you a $40,000 water job. It's just not going to happen. Um, is that still a thing? I, I hear in some areas where, um, you know, it's very regional. There are carriers that still are allowed to uh, facilitate the claim directly to the contractor. Uh, we're seeing that less and less because of the third-party administrators that are in there kind of micromanaging all these carriers. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it's the agent that might have a whole big book of homeowners uh, policies that can try to do that. But like I said, I think that's the, those were the golden years. I don't see that as often as we used to. And not for my own selfish reasons, but I would say it's great if you can get a guy who's going to be able to feed you some work. I, I mean, I think that's great. But um, I also think it's as important that, you know, while you're getting that $20,000 referral, if you find out that you just lost $350,000 worth of equipment because you left it in an 18 wheeler for the weekend, right, like, right. I don't know if that's a savings or not. <laughs> right, right. Understood. Yeah, good point. Well taken. Uh, Cliff, do you have one more? Uh, I don't, but I can. All always... right, Jennifer, before we go, we always like to give the, the guest the last word. But before we even do that, what is your website uh, website for our listeners? It is uh, sterlinginsuranceservices.com. OK, I want to make sure and we'll make sure we get that in the blog, too, because a lot of people follow the blog. In fact, last week's blog kind of blew up the website, which is really nice, Cliff. 
Uh, we'll make sure we get your, your email in there, too. Is there anything that we missed that you'd like to add before we go? Sure. I think it's really important that all of these fellows really look closely and make sure that they're implementing everything they can do to indemnify themselves. That is a fancy word for cover your assets. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's really important that you're making sure that every time you walk in that door, you are getting a customer authorization agreement from someone that signed it. I don't care if you have three for the same address. Get one for the babysitter, one for the wife, and one for the landlord, and one for the property owner. Also, be diligent about your subcontractors and making sure they're true subcontractors. Be selective with who you use. And if you really like their work and they don't have the insurance, maybe, you know, take the premium out of what you owe them and help them buy the policy to get started and then make them give you a COI indemnifying you. Excellent stuff. Very good. I, I, the other thing I wanted to mention is, when we were talking about um, cyber and insurance for cyber, and, and all through this interview, it seems to me the one thing that, that was a key point was to make sure you have good standard operating procedures and that you follow those standard operating procedures. Is there a source for people that they can get those standard? I know there's like contract, you know, Ed Cross has the contracts and so sure on. What about um, standard operating procedures? Are you aware of a place where you can have someone help you write? You know, most most of the guys that go out in the field, they're not. That's not their thing. They're not writing those kind of things. Is there someone that does that for you? You know, I don't have anybody in particular that I like to use, but there is a guy by the name of Eisenhower Prevention, and he's actually a uh, partner with one of my main carriers that is the person that's responsible for doing your inspection. They do them every two years, and that's exactly what they do. They call and make sure that you're following these standards, and you know you have all these implementations like a fall protection program, or you know a, a heat. Right now, you guys, it's heat heat awareness, right? So heat illness protection program, your standard operating procedures. I did have a guy drop dead and die on a job site. They all went to 7-Eleven in the morning and they they grabbed their donuts and their energy drinks. And this, you know, 55-year-old man with some donuts and three energy drinks by one o'clock, he had a heart attack in the heat and died. So let's use good heat awareness. Make sure you have shade. Make sure you get the, you know, the buckets of water and everyone's getting their breaks. And if they got to come out of containment, they have time to cool down. Very good. Jennifer Sterling, thanks so much for joining us this week on IAQ Radio. Thank you so much. I appreciate seeing you guys, and it was great to hang out with you. Have a great morning. It's great to see you guys. I didn't even realize until you answered that one question that I know you. I I remember when we hung out at the EIA, I think. uh, Or IAQA, one of the two. used to get that sexy booth award, and I think I still have my funky trophy. (laughs) Very nice. All right. Thank you, Jennifer Sterling. I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Most importantly, our growing loyal audience and sponsors. We're going to be off the next two weeks for the 4th of July. We'll be back, I think it's July 14th. Yes, with Rob Junkman from the Canadian Wood Council. Looking forward to a great show with Rob. Everybody enjoy the 4th of July holiday, and we'll be back in two weeks live with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.